Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast would be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers who have been called by God to live the lives we are created to live, commanded by God to love beyond the limits of our prejudices, and commissioned by God to serve, called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. And if you do not remember everything I just said, remember, last week we did a new way of doing it. We live, we love, and we serve. Amen? Amen. I want to look today at a a passage of Scripture found in the Gospel according to Luke, the 18th uh, chapter, verses 9 through 14. I'll be reading it in the New Revised Standard Version as well as the Message Bible. Luke 18, 9 through 14. And this is how it reads in the New Revised Standard Version. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself was praying thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you this, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. In the Message Bible, it reads like this. He told his next story to some who were complacently pleased with themselves over their moral performance and looked down their noses at the common people. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax man. The Pharisee posed and prayed like this. Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, crooks, adulterers, or heaven forbid, like this tax man. I fast twice a week and tithe on all my income. Meanwhile, the tax man slumped in the shadows, his face in his hands, not daring to look up. Said, God, give mercy. Forgive me, a sinner. Jesus commented, this tax man, not the other, went home made right with God. If you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to be simply yourself, you will become more than yourself. Come on, let's pray. God, thank you, O God, 
We honor you, O Lord, that you would continue in this moment to continue to allow your spirit to move in this place. God, we are so grateful. Most of all, O God, today, tonight, these days that we've seen pass, these months that we've seen pass, we've learned to be grateful for grace. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, we know you see us. And we know you hear us. We do this to acknowledge our connection. Thank you for remaining true, oh God, in our lives. We love you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. And we say, amen. I want to read a portion of that. In the Message Bible version, Luke 18, I want to read verses 13 and 14. Meanwhile, the tax man slumped in the shadows, his face in his hands, not daring to look up, said, God, give mercy. Forgive me, a sinner. Jesus commented, this tax man, not the other, went home, made right with God. If you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to be simply yourself, you will become more than yourself. Amen. I want today to speak from the subject, messy spirituality. Messy spirituality. <laughs> this... Scripture in Luke 18 is really set up by Jesus' words in the 17th chapter of Luke. There, some Pharisees begin to ask Jesus about when the kingdom of God will arrive. When will it show up? And Jesus, in no uncertain terms, told them in that moment, in a word, you don't have to wait for the arrival of the kingdom. For the kingdom of God is not only among you, but it is also within you. This was Jesus answering the religious scholars' question about when the kingdom will come. When will this new day dawning happen? When will this breakthrough of God's dominion reign? Jesus made it clear it was already present. It was among them and within them. Jesus takes that 17th chapter to outline what that kingdom is and how it will show up. And then in the 18th chapter, he gives two parables. In this ninth verse through the 14th verse of the 18th chapter is one of those parables. It is interesting that as Jesus lifts up this story, that he's keenly aware of those who are around him listening. And in this particular moment, Jesus' words have a direct target. He's intentional, not just about the words that he speaks, but the landing place of the words. These words, this story, are for those who are so piously arrogant, 
who are so filled with their own righteousness or sense thereof. These are for those who think they're better than other people. I want you to hear this. These words are for those who actually think that somehow their piety and their righteousness justifies their religious arrogance so that they can look down at their nose at people. That is the target. Jesus is keenly aware that everybody who's in the vicinity is not there with the same heart. That everybody who's in the environment is not there with the same intention or even emotion or even humility. And he tells this story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Look at the juxtaposition. You have to hear this parable as though you are hearing it for the first time. This is kind of Jesus' way of kind of crossing the narrative because the person you think would be the hero is not. And the person you think would be despised is not. Jesus begins with the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee and the tax collector both go to pray. But the Pharisee's prayer is radically different. He begins by talking what he does. I. I fast twice a week. I tithe of all of my income. Now, if you do not understand the kind of religious practices at the time, you might miss the significance of what the Pharisee says because it was only expected that a practicing Jew would fast once a week on the Day of Atonement weekly. And then when they would tithe, there would only be a tithe of the produce of the field. But this Pharisee makes a point. I fast twice a week, and I don't just give a tithe of my produce. I give a tithe of everything. In other words, I do more than what is expected. I go above and beyond the practices. So as he begins to pray, he makes it clear, God, I I think I'm grateful that I'm not like some of these other folk, rogues and robbers and adulterers. I mean, he calls the role. And then the tax collector prays. Can't even pick up his head. The tax collector was part of a corrupt and cruel practice of abuse viewed as vile and a traitor. Tax collectors were Jews who were used by the Roman authorities to gain money from the Jewish people, already oppressed, already poor. And the thing was, a tax collector could overtax the people in order to make himself more wealthy. They were despised, viewed as religiously unclean, ceremonially unclean. They were hated by their own people because they abused their own people. And this tax collector goes to pray. The text said he couldn't even lift his head to even look up and begins to beat his chest in a sign of anguish. God, give mercy. Forgive me. I'm a sinner. Jesus tells that narrative and then he says, who do you think went home justified that day? He made it clear that tax collector in the Message Bible's language went home right with God. Look at the story. The religious leader, the religious scholar, the religious practitioner did everything wrong. A self-centered prayer filled with arrogance and piety 
condescending. Jesus makes it clear, those who look down their nose at other people will end up flat on their face. Then he gives that classic line, those, those who don't know how to be humble will be brought low. And those who understand humility will be exalted. The story is clean. It is clear. It is evident. But I can't help but think as to whether or not many Christians actually read Luke 18, 9 through 14. I often wonder when I see so many of us who, whose, whose expression of religiosity sounds very familiar to this Pharisee. I wonder how many Christians actually read this narrative. Well, I don't have to ask the question too hard. Too many people who claim to be lovers of God and followers of Jesus in this scene are more in line with the arrogance of the Pharisee. Looking at people with those eyes of judgment, looking at people as though they are better than others because somehow they have some divine connection. The tragedy is that too many of us who claim to be Christian practice and express our faith that way. We look down our noses at people we think are problematic. We actually look at those who are in need of help as being the problem and think that we have no issues at all. And yet so many people who come to many houses of worship across this country, this world, the tragedy again is that so many people who come wounded and broken often find themselves faced with people just like this Pharisee. They come wanting bread, but we give stones. They come looking for healing, but we intensify the hurt. They come looking for restoration, but we simply, we simply demean and diminish. You see, the title of this sermon today, Messy Spirituality, was taken from a book by Michael Iaconelli. The title of the book is Messy Spirituality, God's Annoying Love for Imperfect People. Iaconelli in his book makes it clear that for some Christians who think that somehow God is only drawn to those who, who hover on the border of perfection, that somehow God only cares about those who somehow have all of their spiritual I's dotted and their T's crossed. Iaconelli wrote this book for the other folk, people like me, people like you. In fact, I want to give you some of the quotes from Iaconelli's book. Iaconelli says this, Christianity is not about learning how to live within the lines. Christianity is about the joy of coloring. Oh, you get that. He said, accepting the reality of our broken, flawed lives is the beginning of spirituality. Not because the spiritual life will remove our flaws, but because we let go of seeking perfection and instead seek God, the one who is present in the tangledness of our lives. How about this one? He said, I'm unfinished, I'm unfixed, 
And the reality is that where God meets me is in the mess of my life, in the unfixedness, in the brokenness. It's not about being fixed. It is about God being present in the mess of our unfixedness. Well, I hope you can hear that today. So many people could have a transformative encounter with God, but the problem is there are too many Pharisees blocking the path. There are too many people who are looking upon them in judgment because they have a past and because they've done things that are mistakes and they've had some hardships and some difficulties and they made some poor choices and made some bad decisions. Somehow, those who claim to be Christians are more Pharisaic in their treatment of people like that. We think somehow our garments cover our filth. We think somehow quoting scripture covers our mean-spiritedness. We think somehow knowing how to shout, praise, pray on cue covers the fact that there's a hole in our spirit that can only be filled by humility and love. No. I love the idea that God shows up in my unfixedness, in my brokenness, in my woundedness, that God has this way of receiving me even when I lose the capacity to receive myself, that God somehow is able to heal me while the blood is still dripping from the spiritual pores that have been opened by ravenous people. No, I'm glad that messy spirituality is real. I'm glad that there's a God who is not too embarrassed by my worst moments. That God does not move away from me even when I've walked away from myself. There is something beautiful and transcendent when God sees you and loves you when you're at your lowest and worst point. I know I am not the only one this morning who can say that the arrival of God in your life came at a moment where all you thought you would ever know were valleys. That God's arrival in your life came in a moment where you felt the loneliest. Not because people were not around, but because you emotionally disconnected because you thought you were of no value. That is when God shows up. Can I share this? Maybe in these moments, we learn how to choose relationships differently. Maybe we realize that, that if there are people in our lives 
who can't handle our messiness, who can't handle us when we are in our unfixed state. And maybe those are not the spaces we need to gravitate towards. Because if God is not offended, why would I seek to gain the favor of those who are offended by my presence? If God's love transcends my own brokenness, why would I be in pursuit of people who simply want to hang my brokenness over my head? No. No. The Bible, in fact, is filled from beginning to end with messy people. And somehow, the messiness of their own personal realities does not disqualify them from being used by God in a meaningful, transformative, and powerful way. From beginning to end, every time God shows up in so many people's lives who God co-ops for great things, God finds a mess. Damaged, wounded people, depressed people, people filled with anxiety and trepidation, fearful people, people on the run, people who are radical in their insecurity and rabid in their own anxiety. God shows up with those people, and God has a way of calling those people, and then God has a way of using those people, and God has a way of showing up in the spaces that those people inhabit constantly, and then God still finds a way to use them in the midst of their own, own crisis of identity. And yet here we are in this moment. So many of us who think somehow our Christianity gives us a license to destroy with our mouths. Somehow our faith gives us a right to ridicule and judge and chastise. No, no, this sermon ain't for everybody. Like Jesus, this is for those who think that they're better than everybody else. This is for those who think that somehow your label of Christian gives you a right to be arrogant, dangerously arrogant with your faith. This is not the season for that. This is not even the time for that. And here's the truth. There's no season in time where somehow you're justified to walk in your arrogance and your false piety. No, no, I understand what's happening. You were not taken over by God. You grabbed hold of the ritual. Because you thought somehow grabbing hold of the ritual and the religiosity of the, of the movement then gave you an op- opportunity to cloak yourself, hide yourself in the practices that you thought could cover you but not heal you. So that at the end of the day, you were more interested in being covered than healed. You were more interested in being not seen, then revealed. Oh, I understand. You see, Jesus at the end of this story does not say that one is better than the other. Because if Jesus did that, then he would just be simply flipping roles. And then the tax collector would then be more justified or seem more pietous because of the humility. No, he says, who do you think left right with God? Oh, I need you to hear this. This is a part of the story that is often missed. It doesn't say that the man stopped being a tax collector. It didn't even say he stopped. It didn't say that somehow that day he said, I renounce my position. I changed my ways. 
He simply acknowledged who he was. And Jesus said, that man went home right with God. But the Pharisee, oh, he went home right with himself. Because it's a dangerous thing when you live for the object of your own adulation. I hope someone hears this today. The reason why so many people have been turned off by Christianity, especially now, is because of stories like this, of people who looked at other people funny because they came to church without church clothes. Because of stories like this, people who didn't want to sit next to a pew and somebody who didn't smell right. Stories like this. Looking at someone funny because you knew their past or their story, you started wondering, what are they doing in church? No, at another point in the narrative, Jesus said, they that behold don't need a physician, but they that are sick do. He made it clear who he was coming for, those like this tax collector who understood their struggle, who were living in their own personal pain. Can you imagine what his life was like? Everywhere you walked, people despised you. Your own people hated you. No one wanted to be around you because of what you could do and what you did, and you continually profit off of the plight of your people, and you were hated. And somehow, this man, Jesus said, went home right with God. Why? Because he was real about who he was. Here's how Eugene Peterson puts it in the Message Bible. When you're content with being yourself, you'll become more than yourself. When you learn to bask in the uniqueness of your own identity, it doesn't mean that there will not be transformation that will take place in your life. Because I know there's some folks thinking now, you mean I could just keep on doing what I'm doing and that's going to be cool? No. But here's what I realized. When you have that kind of transformative encounter with God, when in the presence of God you acknowledge your own flaws, your own fault, and you even understand how God's love is still transcendent and still covers, something begins to happen in your spirit. You see, this is what Christians do. You mean we can do whatever we want to do and then God will say it's cool? No, we can't live with God like that. We can't play games with God like that. No, it's not about playing games. You would never ask that question if you really understood what a heart conversion was. Because a heart conversion is not public. It's not something you simply profess. It is something you experience and live through. Oh, we have work to do. Because too many people have been damaged by too many of us who love to say the name Jesus, but are far removed from the heart of love. We have to begin to shift this narrative. The world is waiting for us. Not people who just say we're Christian, no. But people who are not afraid of being transparent. We're not afraid of being honest. We're not afraid of being real about who they are. That is what makes the difference in our journey. You don't lean into this relationship with God 
so that you can feel better than anyone else. You lean into this relationship with God so you can feel better about you. So you can begin to realize that your humanity and God's divinity are in a sacred dance that ultimately leads you in spaces and places where you tap in to resources internally you never knew existed until you met your new dance partner. Somehow in that sacred dance, the music that is made does not come from instruments. The music that is made does not come from bands. With every turn you make with your new dance partner, with every move that you make as the wind begins to move through and across your body, those open spaces, those gaps caused by your hurts, when the move of God and the Spirit of God begin to pass, not over you, but through you. Those gaps, those holes, those broken spaces start making beautiful music. And you lose yourself in that sacred dance. And in that space and in that place, nothing else matters. Can you imagine what your world would look like if you simply danced through life with that partner? You would be so engulfed in the trance of the sacred dance that you wouldn't even worry about who liked you or who didn't. You wouldn't even care about who had this and you didn't have. All you would think about is how every round with your partner goes higher and higher. And nothing else would matter. Can you imagine what it feels like when every step you take, it feels like you're walking on air? Every move you make, it feels like God is right there with you. Well, you don't have to imagine it. Just lean in and experience it. Experience it. And what qualifies you for this? Not your position, not your wealth, not your status, not your title, but your humility. Your humility. It doesn't make sense, but your exaltation is connected to your humility. You want to rise, be real. You want to live in the truth of who you are, be transparent. And watch God get the glory in your life. Don't be ashamed of the messy spaces and places in your life. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. If there are people who are offended 
by you because you are not perfect. There's a great cloud of witnesses of imperfect people that God used to turn the world upside down. You will not be alone. You will not be alone. And in those moments, will you wonder if God really is that sacred dance partner? Because there will be days where you will wonder, am I doing it right, God? Are you pleased with me, God? Are you with me? Do you hear me? That will happen in the journey. In those moments, if you get still enough, when you quiet your anxiety enough, I promise you, you will hear, I am good and you are loved. I am I'm good and you are loved. I am good. You are loved. I am good and you are loved. Damaged, still loved. Hurt, still loved. Messy, still loved. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. I am good. And you are loved. I thank God for messy spirituality and a God who's not ashamed of my unfixedness, especially God, who when I least expect it, invites me to come dance. Come on, let's pray. God, we thank you today. We honor you today, oh God. We are so grateful. We are grateful, oh God, for this reminder today that you honor transparency. You honor honesty. You honor us, oh God, when we know we're in need of mercy. You honor us, oh God, when we know we're in need of forgiveness. God, deliver us from the temptation to be religious and lead us down a path where our spirituality is at the forefront. Our divine connection to you, O oh God, is what shapes our narrative and our story. We thank you and we honor you. 
It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.